Hello there friends, Andrew with the Bangs here and on today's episode of She Wonders Why I speak with my friend from Twitter named Rock or Rockman. I think I pronounced it correctly. We actually talk about how to pronounce his name in the first few minutes so you will find out very shortly if I did a good job. So I wanted to speak with Rock about his perspective on the past number of weeks um, on what has been going on just with regards to racism in America. What are some of us missing? His tweets on the subject have been really thoughtful and so I, I thought he would be a good person to sort of delve in on his perspective. He talks about a really cool parable that keeps coming up in our talk, like throughout the talk. It's about the sun and the wind. I think you guys will enjoy that. Um, we talk about why are these events happening the way they are. He's got a really nuanced perspective. There are things historically, systematically affecting what's been going on for Black people in America for the past hundreds of years. But there's also the importance of the individual and taking responsibility and just sort of just living a life well. So I won't keep you any longer. Here is my interview with Rock. So my my full name is Rahman. It's almost Rahman. Rahman. Is yeah, that's the the very uh, let's say anglicized you know Americanish way to say it with a hard like Rahman. That's how I describe it. But, but it's you kind of have like a Rahman. Exactly. It's, it's, it's Arabic. So it has that Middle Eastern, you know, um, you know, Semitic, you know, vocalization that goes along with and the, it. And your last name? Wangozi. Okay. So where, where did you end up getting an so, Arabic name? So my father, um, he grew up in Oakland. Uh, and so he was, he was a teenager during the, the, you know, the early to mid sixties when after sort of the the civil rights movement sort of dissipated in in our popular imagination of it, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and then you start to get some of the smaller groups like the Panthers and some of these yeah. these branches. So he grew up in the Bay Area, which was you, uh, I guess, you had the the counterculture and that that entire umbrella. So you had hippies and Black Power and the Black Panthers and all these different things, and so. He began to, you know, really explore himself and try to figure out who he was as a person. And he met a mentor who, I guess, taught him about Islam. And so in that process, he ended up becoming a Muslim. Okay. And Yeah. And so when I was born about a decade later, uh, he gave me this name. Okay. Yeah. And the name Rahman, there is a... So in Islam, God or Allah has 99 names or attributes. Okay. And, it's, and Christians, they're, you know, and Christians and, and Jews have like, they use these, these, these same mechanisms, right? I don't, I, they haven't like codified them in the same way. But, you know, you, you know you, when you say, you know, God, my Lord, my Savior, the most, you know, whatever, mm. uh, Muslims just took the time to write it down. Mm. And so Rahman is the first on the list, and it translates to the most compassionate or the most, um, what is the other word that they use is for it? Merciful? Yes, okay. something like that. 
So yeah, so compassion, mercy, that's that's what it means. Oh. Yeah. That's like nice. And we're gonna kind of delve into that a little bit today. So yeah. I feel like it kind of connects into the it's a good it's, segue. It's nice at this point, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily nice growing up. Okay. Because when you're growing up in a place like Oakland in the mid eighties which was a wild place, um, the idea of being compassionate, especially for, for a guy, is like, oh, that's weak, that's soft. You don't want to be oh. compassionate, you're tough, you have to be strong. Okay. So having this name, not only w was it like difficult for most people to pronounce, yeah. but just having this meaning, and I'm like, well, that's not the energy I'm trying to put out in the world because I need to defend myself from certain things. It was a, it was a bit of a, of an uncomfortable fit. But as I've gotten older, uh -huh. experienced more things, traveled around, I realized, oh wait, no, this was sort of divine, if you will, to have this sort of reminder of the thing that I feel I had to work on the most. But in working on that, I feel that that was also my key or path to any and everything that I wanted to do. How do I be mindful of compassion? How do I, you know, remain mindful of, of thinking of others and being considerate of who they are, their experiences, what they may be going through, mm -hmm. that whole thing. So oh, dad knew what he was doing. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, oh, it takes strength to be those things. Yes. Like, that's why it's like, no, no, like, you don't understand it it's the strong man admirable man who does that mm -hmm. thing so yeah no that's really cool that you were able to kind of have a journey to, with your name I love I love those kind of stories because they're yeah. so meaningful so okay so we're gonna talk about the happenings of going on and like in my notes I've written down you know like oh so what do you think about what's going on with regards to all of the the movement that came out of uh, what happened with George Floyd, but I mean, this didn't happen just with the murder of George Floyd. Like this is right. something that obviously has been around since the first slaves were brought over. I feel like it's a bit of a naive thing to be like, so what's going on right now? Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because we, there's so, what's going on now is based on what's, been going what on. happened yes so can we talk I, i'm not i'm gonna let you choose where in history to start it could be just you okay. and your experience uh -huh. or before but what could we can we start somewhere to discuss what is why is this happening now why is this happening now um that's a very very broad question i know so that's why i tried to no 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 it's great it's great i mean it, it actually gives us a lot of a lot of space to play with um i in all of this, we can't we can't forget the coronavirus yes. and how the coronavirus has has played into this. So my my background in terms of education and, and profession is you know finance and uh, econ and IT and different things. And so one thing uh, and that's all calculus, right? It's all math. And so when you're trying to figure out um, how any one variable impacts your formula you you set a constant right you set a constant and then you can see how the other variables in you know impact 
you know, the equation. And so I think the coronavirus is a it's a constant in reality. It's, it's a constant force of stress that has that has pushed every institution, every facet of life to reveal itself. It's a stress test. And what we found is that many of our institutions, many of our uh, uh, social norms were fragile. They actually weren't very good at all. They were in the process of breaking down and the coronavirus was a constant for us to see exactly what the problems were. So when you, when you, when you wonder why George Floyd was sort of the trigger point, it's not divorced from what happened to Breonna Taylor. It was not divorced from what happened to, uh, to Aubrey uh, down, in, down in Georgia. It's not divorced from what happened to Rodney King 20 years ago and all of these things. And it reminds me, um, I always have this, that, that Tupac um, interview from, what, 94, 95. And he said it. He said, you know, in this interview for MTV, he was like, you know, when you're, there's a great party going on. And there are people who can see the party going on through the window, but they're not invited. And so they sing. They're trying to be nice. Like, hey, can we get in? And as the year go, as the years go by, that asking nicely, it switches. And people are no longer asking nicely. They're now demanding. They're now saying, you know what? You have ignored us for decades upon decades upon decades. And so now we're no longer asking, right? Okay. The, the rules of this system, and I don't, I don't mean to, to speak for black people, the, the, the masses of black people or the masses of America, right? This is just my observation. 100%, yeah. Is that uh, the level of frustration that has built up over the years because it's just simply been ignored. And it's not just the racial aspects. It's the fact that uh, it's increasingly more difficult to, um, to be successful in society, not just here, but, but around the world, right? We've set these rules and we've set the game to say, um, you know, merit, we're, gonna, we're only gonna grade on merit and the strongest will rise to the top and everyone else, well, those are the rules, right? Now, one, we know by living life, not everything just happens by merit, right? It's connections, it's who do you know, it's legacy, it's nepotism. And so you're constantly being pissed on and told that it's rain. Mm. So with all these things, you know, all these things happening, or, or sort of percolating under the surface that people have been just sort of swallowing and just sort of dealing with, it all sort of crystallized when you saw an agent of the state, right? You know, that's what, that's what police are, an agent of the state, just casually, hand in his pocket, kneel on a man and murdered him. Mm -hmm. And just intuitively, that's not right, right? Of where it doesn't really matter what he did before the video started. It doesn't really matter what his life was for the, the, the decade or the years leading up to it. There's just, here's a, here's a man, mm -hmm. right? Here's a man, here is a life. And we say life is precious. And an agent of the state through callousness and indifference just killed him. Mm -hmm. And I think what, you see, what, what the majority of people saw was not just the indifference in you know the the eight to nine minutes 
of, of killing this person, but they intuitively felt the indifference that has, that has affected their lives. Mm-hmm. Whether black growing up in inner cities and your schools aren't, aren't great, uh, but you're told, well, those are the rules. Or whether you're you know, poor and you're white and you're living off in West Virginia or somewhere in Oklahoma, and success is just as far away from you as it is if you were living in some projects in the middle of, of, of Brooklyn, mm-hmm. success and, 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 and achieving your dreams still feels very far away. Mm-hmm. It's that callous indifference that has brought people to this point where they just like, you know what, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And now that we've sort of tripped this wire, it is sort of hard to, uh, to, to reel back in because there's just a certain amount of pent up anger and angst that sort of needs to run, you know, run its course. Mm-hmm. This is just the world as it is right now. Right. So we can talk specifically about cops. Yeah, I did. I did want to speak about police brutality. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's go there because because it's it's it seems almost too easy to be like, oh, it's the cops, guys. Like, come on, it's mm-hmm. just police brutality. Let's not bring race into it. You know, I, I've seen them do this or that or the uh, the other with viral videos of a disabled guy or yeah. a this or that. You know, you know, people can bring up different mm-hmm. perspectives um, and be like, it's not necessarily race, but it. it I, there's a history that is a history. Again, important to remember. So, mm-hmm. but I do think that police brutality has a lot to do with it as well. So, can, can yeah. you give your perspective on that? Yes, I think that police have been given far too much uh, leeway to create their own rules. Okay. I think that they, um, as an organization, as any organization does, it wants to not. It wants to maintain and increase its power and influence. And this is not particular to cops, this is the nature of organizations, right? Because every organization feels that it's on a God-given mandate to, you know, preach whatever message that they think is is right. So this is not unique to cops. Um, So you have this dynamic of cops um, doing their job, and it's a tough job. They see sides of reality and society that the average citizen, thankfully, almost never has, has to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yet, so they've internalized a lot of societal trauma. And our failure is not giving them the tools to properly deal with the trauma and all this negativity that they've embodied. It has to go somewhere, yet they've just, they, they hold on to it. And so from, here's the compassion, as a person going out and doing this job for the benefit of society, we failed them because their mental health is constantly being tested, right? So you you have these really stressed out people with awesome power in their hands, mm-hmm. trying to sort of keep society more or less within the guardrails, mm-hmm. right? So that's the apparatus. Now, when it comes to dealing with the public, you have all of these historical things. You have the legacy of racism and sort of the stereotypes and biases and preconceived notions about who's a threat, who's not a threat, uh, who may or may not be up to no good. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not just, like I said, it's not just black people. You have, you know, I know plenty of, of, of white guys who have the same issues with cops, plenty of musicians who have issues with cops, right? Because cops are agents of the status quo, people in power, 
anyone who challenges that or strays from certain prescribed courses, now you're in the path of cops to, to deal with you. So when it comes to is there racism or do cops just do this as a matter of course, it's like yes and, right? Okay. So when you deal, when, when, when police deal with the black community, it is police dealing with, let's say, an organization of the state dealing with this very discrete population. So the relationship between these populations is, is sort of a closed loop, right? Mm. So what cops are doing as it pertains to the black community is different than what cops are doing as it pertains to the gay community. Because, you know, Stonewall was a thing, right? You know, uh, uh, gay people being, you know, just picked up and, 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 and beat up by, by police and then tossed out in, in, in random neighborhoods. There are a lot of gay people who will tell you, I mean, especially going back, you know, in the, 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 the 90s and the 80s and the 70s and the 60s when it was, you know, sort of course of business, you can be openly, you know, uh, uh, homophobic. They were being beaten up and abused the same way, and okay. so okay. even so, so the the excuses might be very particular to any population, but it's still in the vein of this is the power structure attacking perceived enemies More or margins, yeah, people exactly. who aren't in the main. Exactly, right. and so so where it becomes very infuriating is if. I say, hey, you know what? That cop pulled me over and my friends and my cousins and everything, and they're always in our neighborhood and they're always running our plates. And when they pull us over, they're not respectful. You know, they're always condescending. They're always very disrespectful. You know, every, every legitimate answer is followed up with extra suspicion. They're doing illegal searches. They're, you know, constantly, you know, fining for every infraction. I'm, I'm finding it difficult enough to pay my bills. And yet, and so I'm in this constant cat and mouse game of where I'm trying to do whatever, to, you know, whatever it is that I need to do to completely within the rules, right? We're not talking about criminality. Mm. Completely within the rules. I'm just trying to go about my life as difficult as it is, not complaining. Yet I have this agent of the state who's always harassing me just always harassing me. And so when I say as a, as a black person that, hey, you know what? There's systemic racism in the cops and people pull out all these stats. Well, you know, out of the 300 million people, you guys look, you know, it, it, it doesn't, you know, the stats don't bear that out. And it's like, okay, I understand how the aggregates really flatten everything out. But in the very specific, you have cops stopping me and harassing me for no reason when I'm just trying to live my life. Right. It's the same thing with what they found out in Ferguson. Um, whatever happened with Michael Brown, uh, most of that will is just lost in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. We'll never know, did he actually have his hands up? Did he actually charge the cop? Did the cop instigate? We never, we will never really know. It's a lot of, you know, he say, she say, um, speculation and, and whatever. But what we do know was that the Justice Department did a did an analysis of the Ferguson police, you know, uh, police procedures, and they saw that the black residents were stopped multiple times more than the white residents. Okay. And they saw how the police basically used the public as an ATM to fund themselves. Okay, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, 
that constant. So it doesn't. It's not necessarily that um, cops kill the same amount of black people as they kill white people. Death is not the only measure. Right. There's the respect. Right. There is stop tapping my pockets. Stop putting your, putting your hands on me. I know I've been sort of on the tear on Twitter the, the past couple of weeks, and I know some of this is my own, you know, pie in the sky thinking. But I don't think cops should have carte blanche to put their hands on you and just say, well, you were resisting arrest or you weren't, you know, obeying my orders, you know, you know, quick enough. Right. Right. Because it's like, who are you to tell me a, 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 a grown man, a productive citizen that I didn't jump fast enough for you? Right. Right. It's like when you when you when you when you just pull out a little bit and look at it just human to human, who gives you that authority to, to dictate to me and treat me at like, like a child? Yeah, and I, mean, I think- There's a respect that, that isn't super hard to, to, right. to give off, right? Yeah. Right, because, because at the end of the day, cops are the help, right? They are hired right. to do work on behalf of the public. They are paid with our tax dollars. So it's, you know, when I pay my tax dollars and the, 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 the help, and I don't necessarily mean to be dismissive. I mean, it's kind of funny. Well, they're but civil it, servants. They are civil servants. And so when, when, when they are coming around and using my tax dollars to, to, you know, to beat me up and harass me, and when I make a complaint about it, I'm met with, you know, almost as a default, saying that I'm lying, mm. you know, mm. that is going to engender animosity, distrust, not only for the cops, but anyone defending the cops and just saying, hey, well, the numbers say. And, and even with the numbers, I know what a lot of black people are saying, okay, numbers be damned. Is this the, is this the relationship that you want with cops? Do you, you know, should we just allow them to do whatever it is that we want and say, hey, well, most of the time they don't crack people over the head. So, you know, you have to get your head busted open because, you know, the last 10 people that he stopped, he didn't bust, bust them over the head. And so guess what? You're it. And you should just say, hey, well, you know what? At least he let the other nine or 10 people go. That does not make any sense. It seems like there's. Well, no, it, it doesn't seem there. There are there are two very different narratives about what has been happening the past few weeks, depending on. I want to say which side of the aisle you're on, but it's not down those lines for sure. But it kind of is. Well, I'm actually very curious. What is that? Okay. Well, that that this is like so needed. This is like the, the the defund the police stuff, which I do want to hear your opinion on. Um, you know, like the, the, the like like well, finally Black Lives Matter, and you're finally seeing it. Everybody like the 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 most most of society is finally cluing in. Like there's that, and the other side is what you mentioned. Like no, look at the numbers. See the stats say this, and and we like look how far we've come, and like let's stop overblowing this and. Those are just a few examples of the many, many times that these this doesn't happen. You know, the, again, I, I, I'm it's extremes, right? So yes, I, there could be good points on either side. I'm mm -hmm. not here to say which, but it yeah. is it's it's like you're living in two different worlds, and and maybe you're like, yeah, because it's been like that. Yeah. What do you think of that? As a function of my of my character, I actually don't 
care for compliments. Okay. Right. Yeah, it's they, they make me uncomfortable, and it's it's kind of weird. But how that translates to how I go about life, I actually want honest critique, okay. right? Because through the critique is how I know where I'm 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 not meeting the standard that I've set, okay. and those are the areas that I need to to work on. So for me, every moment you tell me, you know how great I'm doing. I'm not hearing all the areas that I need to work on. So I'm not progressing. You know, progress comes from from stress. It comes from something breaking and you having to build it and 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 fix it. It also happens to be um my work and my profession, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in I'm a a, a data and, and systems analysis. So I'm constantly tinkering and breaking things down and trying to rebuild them stronger. So I have almost no interest in hearing how great and wonderful um, we have been. Okay. Because like, well, should then I cancel your checks? Do you not need to show up to work? Because you told me that you still need these checks and there's still a job to be done. So let's talk about the job that needs to be done. I don't really care necessarily all the great stuff that you did last year. It's like people saying, well, hey, you know, the Republican Party freed the slaves back in 1865. And it's like, yeah, it's been 140 years, 100, well, 160 years. That's the least, years. It's the least you can yeah. do. And, and yeah. what now? Yeah. No one from then is alive. So why are we even talking about that? Yeah, it's a nice pen in history. But so what? What? How are we actively building the, the 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 mechanisms and and the 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 environment that we want to live in that is the only thing that I'm interested in yeah. and sometimes that can be maybe a little myopic in my own way of focusing on the future focusing on you know what we're doing uh, versus what happened and you know I, I've had to learn to sort of calm down look around and say hey you know what it has been pretty good okay. you know we have been able to build certain things. And these are sort of our, our, you know, the accomplishments. Um, and it is, it is good to celebrate them. We have holidays. It is when we, when we are, when we're resting, right. It is a good time to say, you know what, it's been hard work. We've been pushing, 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 but wow, look how far we've come. Mm. Look at all we've done. That is the proper you know, the proper place for that. We have Memorial Day. We have Labor Day. We have the 4th of July. We have Thanksgiving. We have Christmas. We have these moments where we are supposed to take time mm. and celebrate, mm. you know, not buy shit. And I'm sorry for, for cussing on your thing. No, <laughs> not for buying things and, and, and furthering consumerism, but real reflection, right? Reflection and honoring these things. Mm. But when we're saying, hey, you know what? These things are still left undone. That is not the time to say. But what 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 about all the stuff that we did, you know, last year? Right. Oh, okay. Like last year, where you're from. Yeah. Last year is dead. We're we're never going to get to last year. So why are we even like? How is that relevant to what it is that we're that we're doing, you know, going forward? And I know that I know what people say is, oh, but it keeps morale up, and you know, we want to feel good about the work that we're doing, and it's like. Yes, but you shouldn't constantly need someone patting you on the back and giving you trophies to encourage you to do the thing that you told me was important to you. Mm, mm. You know, 
you told me that equality and diversity and and this great melting pot that is America and Canada. You guys are, we're you know, mosaic, apparently, but. yeah, yeah. You know, you <laughs> these things were important. You wrote it down as, as Martin Luther King said, you know, I want to keep you honest to what you wrote down on paper. Okay. That's all it is. Oh, that's good. I gotta, gotta read more of him. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's much more than a, a have a dream. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's something that I did speak about with someone with, and I have heard of a critique of what's going on about the, the do better mm-hmm. and things being said, like what, like, like we want, we want more to be done, but how back in MLK's time, he and others were like, we want this specifically. We want this specifically. They had yes. their, these go- like integration of schools. We want buses like specifically. And what, like they would protest those for those specific changes and i've heard that as a as a critique of of now what like what what are the things that we need to change specifically one of the things that um you know we we highlight dr king's moral clarity Mm -hmm. um we we highlight his um his or you know his is now i'm not gonna be my words are not going to come out right. Yeah. His, his his use of language, yes, right? We, yeah. you know, his his oratory skills. We we always celebrate these things. One of the things that I I don't think we give enough credit to is the fact that he was a marketing genius. Mm. And if it weren't for his dedication to uh, civil rights and sort of, you know, all the things social. I have no doubt that he, you know, if he had worked on Madison Avenue and everything that he would create, you know, he would have been Don Draper, right? Uh, (laughs) Maybe even with some of the humanizing in the, the yeah, but you know, he was, he was a marketing genius Mm -hmm. because what he understood was that black people being such a small percentage of the population, invariably we would need the majority white population to sign on to the cause and um, sort of take things over over the finish line. Mm-hmm. So he was able to understand uh, understand the audience, figure out you know what they cared about, what they didn't care about, and how to basically manipulate his audience. Mm-hmm. And that's what he was that's what he was able to do in some ways. Um, better than some of his peers and, and, and contemporaries before and since. Also, another thing that is overlooked by Dr. King is he had an organization. He wasn't a one-man whatever. And if you look at, if you listen to like old interviews and old clips, especially you know when you have Andrew Young and Ab- Abernathy and all those guys sitting around, Dr. King wasn't the leader. He was just the face, right? Okay. They all had their role. They all had their strengths. You know, it was a council of of equals. Dr. King's role was to be the face. He was the. So I will I will dumb it down a little bit, right? Please. <laughs> so, so guys, you know, guys get together, and you know, we like to pick up girls. Let's just let's just okay, just make we'll it just, very plain. 
so you have there, yeah. yeah so you say you have four guys right four guys and you're going to the club and you know you want to have a good time and maybe find a group of girls to hang out with okay. right there's going to be one person in the group who's always um he's the face man he's he's the pretty boy he knows how to tell jokes he knows how to put people at ease so that's the marketing agent you send him out okay. to you know, to, to, to introduce the, you know, introduce the, the, the group, right? Cause he's fun. He's, you know, he's attractive, he's cool. And he brings the other, you know, he's sort of the icebreaker to bring everyone else in. And so then you have the smart one and then you have the intellectual one. And then you have the one who's just, you know, they're who's fun. just there, just there for fun. <laughs> everyone is playing their role within a team. When you look at when you look at you know the military and they they break down into squads, right? You know, I think it's what four? No, 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 not four. Excuse me. A, a squad is anywhere from like five to seven. Don't quote me, military people. I'm I'm bringing it <laughs> from the past. But each person in the squad has a very specific job, okay. right? They're a specialist here or a specialist there, and they combine to form like Voltron, and you are a powerful. You know, greater than the sum of his parts. Mm -hmm. So that's what Dr. King played. He was the face man. He had the good words and he knew how to, you know, really interact and play with the crowd. But, you know, Dr. Young, he had his strengths and, you know, Ralph Abernathy, he had his strengths and everyone played their part. Mm -hmm. And I think where we where we are now. Not only that, but they also did a lot of research, mm -hmm. right? They, they, they researched the situation. They figured out where their areas, SWOT analysis, mm -hmm. strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and I always forget what the T is. Um, okay. But it was a very organized and planned thing. And so when you fast forward to today, you're right. There is a lack of sort of specific goals um, actionable, not these sort of ideas, mm -hmm. right? Very actionable goals that are designed to meet a very specific need. Mm -hmm. That seems to be lacking. Um, the organization of, no, we can't just take people out into the streets to protest. We have to give them training. We have to train leaders. We have mm -hmm. to train, you know, people to not only be in the front, but on the sides and in the rear to make sure that this organization stays within you know, the boundaries, because Dr. King knew our legitimacy will fall by the wayside if we're looting, if we're damaging property, if we seem to be, you know, only animated by destroying everything, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. when, when you present yourself as, you know, this existential threat, then all the, 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 the security measures and the defensiveness, it automatically goes up. Mm -hmm. There's a parable um, parable, uh, whatever about the sun and the wind, right? Okay. Have you ever heard it? No. Okay. So the sun and the wind, uh, were having, you know, a discussion and they saw a guy carrying his jacket and I'm going to mess this up. Okay. And they made a bet, right? And the bet was who can make the man take off, you know, lose his jacket first. And so the wind went first. And so the wind would blow and blow and the man would clutch his jacket on him and the wind would blow harder and the man would clutch harder. And to the point where the wind just gave up, it was like, I can't do it. I can't get that jacket off of him. Okay. So the sun said, let me try. So the sun goes out 
and he shines. It so the man the first the first button, yeah. and the sun shines a little bit brighter. So it's the next button, and eventually, the sun just being radiant, and just incrementally just being more radiant. The man proactively unbuttons and takes the jacket off. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that was something that I learned from a kid. And I just have this mind of where I latch onto these things mm -hmm. uh, of where, and you know, we hear these things, you know, more, you know, uh, uh, more honey than vinegar and all these, these, this wisdom that's passed down and all of these different parables and sayings. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, um, are you able to, how are you able to, you know, not break down the system, but get the system to work for you. How do you how do you turn a potential enemy into an I hate the word, but ally? Mm. How do you how do you make what it is that you are doing a part of what they were always trying to do? Mm. That's what Dr. King was about. I want to hold I want you to do what you said on paper. Mm. He wasn't asking America to do anything that it that it said it wasn't already doing. Mm -hmm. He was like, oh, show me. Mm -hmm. If you're good, if you're good and if you're great, I'm gonna give you every opportunity to be as good and as great as you wanna be. Okay, so. That, that's the secret. Well, how do we find the leaders? So how do we find the leaders? So there's, this, there's what's going on online, you know, there's what's going on in the media, and then there's real life. We hear this all the time. But the leaders are the people who get up every day and go to work, right? The leaders are the people who are trying to do right by their children and their friends' children and taking uh, an active role in the community, even if it is simply just staying out of the way, right? Mm -hmm. Personally, I haven't been very much into activism. I've never really been on a march. Excuse me, on a on a march. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily. For me, that's not my way, and I've always sort of defaulted. Well, as long as I'm out of the way, okay. that's you know, that's my part. Like if I can move myself out of poverty, and then set my daughter up so that she's not in poverty, mm -hmm. and in the meantime, maybe help a friend uh, or or you know another family member sort of keep their family, then I've done my part. And to a large extent, that's true, mm -hmm. right? Everyone kept themselves out of poverty and then, you know, helped maintain someone else out of poverty, then logically no one would be in poverty. That's Everyone, the micro, the, the, yeah, 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 within yeah. the family, yeah. And that is very, and that is very much at the, at the heart of what conservatism is about, mm -hmm. right? Personal accountability, mm -hmm. personal responsibility, but that's very different than political conservatism. It's very different than media conservatism and this activist conservatism, right? Um, which I almost want no parts of. And I can say, uh, without taking out too much time in, in this regard, I can say the same thing about progressivism, right? That true, and, and, and some people I do, make, do make this distinction online, true progressivism and liberalism um, is not tearing down statues, which I'm sort of ambivalent about, or a lot of this sort of, you know, let's burn everything down, sort of animus, the, the you know, Antifa or whatever name that people want to put on sort of this um, extreme nihilism. It's not that at all. It's, you know, we can be very progressive in, let's fix the potholes in, in, in our neighborhoods. 
I, you know, I, I don't think our schools are, are, are being, um, are being served properly. They don't have, uh, all the resources that they need. And instead of, um, instead of sort of relying on the, the goodwill of teachers to take out of their pockets to buy resources for our children, maybe we should do a better job of either funding the schools to uh, provide these resources or send our children with a little bit extra for the kid down the block who, who maybe doesn't, mm-hmm. you know. I hear a lot, I hear a lot, um, and I don't mean to bag on on Christians or Jews or Muslims or any religious people at all, but with so with so many desperate people in the world, with so many people in need, and uh, people saying, you know, we don't need the government to, to to fix these things. We can do these things ourselves. It's like, okay, here it is. You know, right. yeah. The reason why the government ends up stepping into these things is because the market or whatever these things has failed. Mm-hmm. You know people haven't proactively gone out and solved these problems for themselves because honestly the problems are bigger than individuals and charities and uh sort of this goodwill because there's only so much goodwill I have to extend because I have a you know almost 17-year-old daughter that I'm actively trying to raise. Mm-hmm. I do there is there are system dynamics at play. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, this equation of life and civilization, it isn't just, you know, get the government out of the way and people will do it or, you know, people aren't going to do it. So we need the government to step in. You know, it's not a battle between the federal and the local. All of these things getting back to the squad, all of these things has they have their role to play. Mm. Right. It's not that one is greater than the other or more important than the other. They're all integral parts in making this machine, you know, work. Mm-hmm. I mean, because right now we're leaking oil. We're on the side of the road. Um, yeah. The engine is smoking. And so, you know, and how do we find the leaders? We need to de-emphasize people who have nothing but negativity to say. Again, it's like if all you have to say is, look how bad it is. Look how bad it is. Oh, we have to be afraid of those people. Oh, you know, academia is not what it used to be. And it's like, these aren't the voices that, these aren't the leaders that we need. Because all they're doing is they are just amplifying the fear, right? Oh my God, be careful of what's coming around the next corner. When the answer is to devote more energy on people to people who are actively doing the work. What can we do? Yeah, part of the reason why people get drawn into, as they say, indoctrinization and and sort of these negative things is because what else have you offered them? Mm. You haven't given them, you know, you haven't given them anything to strive for. Mm. So absent that, all they have is what they're against. Mm. Mm. Maybe we haven't had enough... Maybe there hasn't been enough talk in the like general household about race if people are clinging to these other things being said that are on the more extreme side. Is that Yeah, I think I think so it's funny. I actually don't necessarily type necessarily like talking about race that much at all. Okay. Um I no, I, I will and I and I and yeah, I do. Well, I don't yeah. necessarily like talking about it because one 
it's not necessarily relevant to me okay. personally, and I'll, I'll explain that in, in, in a bit. And I think that it's very triggering uh-huh. okay. for people. And as we were talking about police earlier, this hyper-focus on this narrow aspect, you don't see how it's a, it's a, it's a thread that cuts across whether it's race or uh, uh, sexuality um, socioeconomics, all of these things, mm-hmm. right? Whether, you know, the race, not the, all of these are excuses, right? Mm-hmm. All of these are excuses and just reasons for the system to sort of follow its inertia. And what I'm interested in is how do we break people out of this inertia? And the way we break people out of this inertia is to help them realize that they, in fact, aren't going to lose anything. You're actually going to gain. And I'm not going to dictate this game to you. I'm not going to prescribe this game to you. I'm going to show you how the the things that I'm proposing are already, um, I say, I would say, furthers what it is that you told me that you were about. And I'm going to present very starkly, are you interested in this goal that you set up or maintaining your feelings of who's at fault, who's to blame, what's more inter- what what is more important to you? Okay, cuz that's what I'm trying to get at is mm-hmm. like like I I I get what you're saying, but I'm yeah. I'm thinking what's the example because we example. you're saying mm-hmm. what are what are the alternatives being given? Well, they're not given alternatives, so they're going into extremism on either mm-hmm. side. So what yeah. What's like, do you have an example of, of yeah. that? So the, so an example is Kressler, Steve, I think Steve Kressler or whatever. There's, there's a guy who, um, he went to Baltimore and did some cleanup, right? Okay. And he, I think he, he went to Chicago and he had an organization that were, that was going into say, uh, different cities, you know, black neighborhoods and saying, Hey, you know what? We're going to spend the day cleaning up this park. We're going to spend the day fixing the, you know, fixing this street. We're going to do all of these things. And even though I, I was somewhat critical of the fact that it was somewhat phrased as this is what conservatives do versus liberals. I didn't like that framing of it. Okay. However, that action, Mm. right. Of going out and saying, you know what, we're not going to wait. We're going to do it ourselves. Okay. You know, and I think that at an individual level, it starts with it starts with changing our changing the way we 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 talk about things, right? That right now we are in this this left right divide. Mm. Everyone on the left is like this, and you know someone does this, and then you hear you know because they did this, and then the left does, mm. or you know do this and you know and that's just you know emblematic of how the right does and it's like it's this it's this bifurcation of society into us versus them mm-hmm. and i i would charge people to say to just to just stop you know you don't even if you don't proactively do something you can just not participate right that's the first thing is so you know, even even if you aren't necessarily, um, you know, building something, you're no longer digging the hole. Okay. And this is this is what I think one of the things that sort of frustrates uh, 
some people about me is that I just refuse to engage in that. I'm like, no, there is the option of not playing. You right. don't have to play the game. It's mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen um, uh, uh, War Games. No, I've heard of it. Yeah. Oh, Matthew Broderick, I believe it was like 84, oh, 85. I oh, I, I've definitely heard of this before. So yeah. yeah. And there was a computer AI and um, it was basically trying to uh, to strategize and gameplay nuclear war. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it was trying nuclear war and it would just go through all of these iterations. What if, you know, the U.S. launches its missile first? Could it win? No, because everyone launches their missiles. Okay, what if, you know, the Soviet Union does? Okay, well, maybe Pakistan. And it tried all these, all of these different scenarios, and it realized that no matter how you started, who was at fault, it all ended up the same. And so the computer realized at the end, maybe to win is simply not to play the game at all. And it's like... Okay. It's like a... That's like a... That's the thing. Right. Yeah. That they're actually is always a third option right is to not play the game okay it, it kind of seems like a, a bit of a victory to, to live your life well yes and, and because okay but that okay that brings me i do want to talk about like white privilege and right now white fragility is getting yeah. really pushed and <sighs> okay so I, I okay you could live your life well but also it's important to be aware and yes. understand what is around you and, yeah. and that people have different, again, like you were careful because you're like, I am not speaking for the collective of black people right. in America. <laughs> so, and, right. and I'm not speaking for the collective of white women in Canada. I mean, if there's a check involved and someone nominated <laughs> you, like, sure. you know, then yeah, sure. I guess I'll take the job, but yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but so it's not that, we can speak for, you know, collectives and whatnot, but understanding that there are commonalities of experiences of yes. people on the margins, we'll say, like kind of like what we were mentioning with regards to the police and different groups that were being targeted and whatnot. So I didn't even like saying on the margins because it's like putting people in like, you well, know, well, no, I, I, can, I can give it to you like this, you know, okay. each, each zip code has very specific uh, issues relative to that zip code. Okay. Yeah. And so it is incumbent upon uh the, the the people in charge of you know those jurisdictions to service the needs of those people. Okay. And what's going on on the upper east side of Manhattan for whatever good and bad that it is, is no bearing to, you know, what's going on in, in, in Conyers, Georgia or, you know, Broken Arrow, uh, uh Oklahoma or, you know, Tulsa or whatever. We need to we need to be aware and compassionate of the specific issues that are going on in these locales and address them. This is where that conservatism, it has its, its, its most, you know, its most value because it, it correctly focuses on outside of all this top line stuff. How are we affecting the lives of people? How are we, you know, giving people the tools and the resources and the skills to better themselves. Okay, so I, I do wonder, like, what what do you think about 
white privilege. The white privilege thing, because because the idea of I I looked at it, I, I I resisted for a long time, that well not a long time, like a year. I didn't, you know, like you, you know, in certain circles, it was like, oh, like don't say that I have whatever. I'm I'm an individual, like live liberty and freedom. But but I I, I am seeing it now as like oh, being aware of mm -hmm. histories of particular groups of people. Yeah. But I taking up a notch so, in white fragility. So I just yes. am wondering if you could tell me your what you yes. think about it. Um there is absolutely white privilege. Okay, thank you. There is height privilege and there is, you know, uh beauty privilege. There are all these different things. Okay. Um Brett Weinstein, and I've been critical of Brett. Yeah. Brett can be a little maddening sometimes. Yeah. But I just saw him on Joe Rogan um, the other day. And I think Brett gave one of the most clearest and concise ex explanations of systemic racism. I was going to ask you about that. So, yes, please. Yes. Th these, these, things are, these things are very related, closely, closely related. Okay. And, um, and what Brett had to say and what he illustrated was just that it's not, it's indifference, right? These systems, power, the, the power organ, you know, structure wants to maintain itself, mm. right? And we have constructed a lot of these institutions and organizations uh, 50, 60, 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. And there were certain social norms and, and protocols that are in the fabric and DNA of these institutions mm -hmm. that... So even though everyone who goes in there today may be colorblind, if you will, or you know, in their heart they mean well and they're trying to do well by, by, by everyone, you still have the legacy and sort of the inertia of all of these things, right? Um, if I have a, a million dollars today and you have $1,000 today and we both double our income – next year, one could say, hey, look, we both did great. We both doubled our income. You still have less than a percent of what I have. Right. And when it comes down to, you know, um, buying a house, then, okay, yeah, we can say, well, this is all fair. These are the rules. And, you know, to the highest bidder. And then I just say, hey, you know what? I'll just toss half a million dollars down on this house. And I've just priced you out. Now, according to the system, everything was fair. But in reality and how it affects your life day to day, it's not it's 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 far less quote unquote fair than than what we purport because we have to we have to ask our question ask the question is the goal to maintain the system as it is or is the goal to empower and uplift the last person okay right it's it's the health of your society is not how well the top person is doing it's how well the person on the bottom is doing that's the true health of of, of a society and so when you have these systems and when you when you have these uh, 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 institutions that were formulated in an overtly racist past, you know, and these habits, we may take off the, you know, overt racism. We may take off, you know, the, 
the malice that was that that accompanied it. Mm-hmm. But if the institutions are still more or less working as they always did, always then did, yeah. yeah, then that is the systemic racism. It's not malicious. At this point, it is just indifferent. Okay. And how, and how that and how that so how that systemic racism comes back to white privilege mm-hmm. is because you know in certain regards uh, being the system is not the system hasn't necessarily been slanted against you as it pertains to your ethnicity mm-hmm. right so as it comes back to the cops the cops may be a little less hesitant to speak to you in, in, in a certain way. If you're driving through the neighborhood in a, you know, a brand new fancy car, they're less suspicious of you because bias is like, oh, they can credibly see how you may have obtained that car. Okay. Whereas if I'm driving the car, it's like, well, how do you get that car? Mm-hmm. What is he doing in this neighborhood? I don't know. Could be suspicious. Maybe I should run the place just to make sure. Maybe I should pull him over just to make sure, right? These are things that <clears throat> when we talk about white privilege and, and all these different things, it's just saying that you don't understand what my experience is in, in, this, in this world, mm-hmm. right? Outside of the stats, we can aggregate. I work with stats for a living. We can aggregate and focus on any narrow whatever, but that's not what we're talking about. I'm telling you, citizen to citizen, mm-hmm. human to human, yo, man, this is, this is what's going on with me. This is how my life is, is, is going. I'm not feeling well today. Mm. You know? And I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to have a little compassion for me. Have a little understanding person to person of what I'm going through and could we perhaps adjust the system in, in this slight way to, you know, alleviate the issues that are going on in my zip code. Mm-hmm. And people take that, that sincere plea of, hey, you know, this is what's going on with me. They take that as like, well, I'm not a bad person. And it's like, I'm not saying that you are. I'm not being racist. Listen, I think you have a great heart. Fine, that's not what I'm saying. But your indifference to what I'm going through under the guise of, well, those are the rules that, you know, I then have to question who you are, right? I have to question then your, you know, um, your integrity and, and, and your, I guess, fidelity to these virtues that you told me that you held. If I'm telling you that this is not working for me and I'm drowning, you know, and you're like, well, I don't know what to say about that. I'm doing well. These are the rules. Yeah, these are the rules. Must be something with you. You know, maybe I should like, you know, check out your IQ. Maybe you just don't, you can't, you know, you just can't figure it out. Mm. That's insulting. And then I'm not listening to anything that you have to say. And now I am going to look at you as an enemy. And I am going to say, you know what? Your indifference, your indifference to this thing that's happened to me, yeah, you're racist. And there is, from the other side, there is a very sloppy use of, of language, right? We use these very generic catch-all terms. Oh, you don't like, oh, so you're racist. Or, you know, you're supporting white supremacy and everything. And 
we don't take the time to a listen to the humanity uh you know that people are speaking from and then affording the listener humanity and you know what maybe they just don't understand mm-hmm. you know not that they are necessarily indifferent to under, like really indifferent to understanding I have to be careful in how I approach them. I can't necessarily lose my temper and start calling them names and, and pushing them away. That's the wind blowing really hard. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, they tighten oh, okay. up. Here's, yeah, here, here it ties it. Yeah. yeah it's a clutching. Yeah, yeah, that's why you're it, like, that's why it stuck with, with you. Yeah. Right. I would actually say so. So, but we all have different, different privileges. Right. Nice. And, and that's that's good, too, because that, that often does get brought up like, but privilege so here, I, here and here, but but also here, like we're talking so about this one, like this yeah. particular one right now. I made a I made a, 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 a podcast episode is about two or three years old now. Actually, I reposted it, um, I think, last week called Black Privilege. Oh, right? I didn't see and, that. I'm going to have to find yeah. it. And it was it was somewhat satirical, but also very true. I. I think I have a lot of privilege, specifically by being black and having sort of the, the black experience in America. And part of that is I've never been under the illusion that America was designed to work for me. Okay. So you, work, never. you, you work harder because you know it's so, designed for yeah, you. So, yeah, I, I know that the, that the system is at best indifferent. Okay. You know, at worst malicious, but, you know, indifferent – Indifference and maliciousness, uh, it, it feels the same. Sometimes <laughs> right? indifference is kind of worse because it's, it's like, kind I nothing you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so never being under that illusion has allowed me to not necessarily get comfortable and fall back on my laurels. Okay. It's almost, and I also grew up um, around a lot of immigrants. Okay. And immigrants have a very specific. Uh, way that they approach the system. They aren't on the inside. They are from the outside. Being black, it felt sort of like being an outsider. And so that gave me, I didn't have to devote so much attention to, you know, loving unconditionally and supporting unconditionally the United States of America. And, oh, it's it's done no wrong. And I'm just not going to pay attention to all that stuff going on out back because America is the greatest. America is the greatest. No, I've been free to say, okay, this is what it is. This is a cold, calculated system. And how do I affect that? Mm. Um, I know that I'm, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm great looking, but I'm not ugly. (laughs) Not ugly. That's all I really care about. You're and like, so there's a little privilege there. Okay. Yeah. And so I know that I know that, you know, that allows me to go into to different areas. I know that my use of language is a key privilege that I have. Okay. Uh, I wanted to on a couple of weeks ago I put a poll and I asked, did anyone want to hear my analysis of the of the Woodchuck lim- limerick? Oh. How much yeah, Chuck, yeah. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Wood. Yeah. And 22 people, I think 66 people responded. And out of that, maybe a third or maybe 40 people said that they wanted to hear the breakdown of that. And I'm like, well, that's not enough. If you don't care, then I'm not going to bother. Okay. Well, I want to know. So, you know the limerick. Yeah. That limerick is very important. And this is sort of 
this is what people consider to be white privilege, okay. right? Is that that limerick is taught in certain circles. And it does a couple of things. One, it's a mouth exercise, mm-hmm. right? It's an, it's an articulation exercise. All the things that we teach our children, like, you know, these parables and everything, they're really just dumbed down lessons for how to live within culture, mm-hmm. right? So the woodchuck limerick, um, it helps with your articulation. It's a game for articulation. But also that particular game and form is used in a very specific circle or segment of people, right? And so as that segment grows up and you go to college and you become, uh, you know, you become an adult, now this is sort of a, a, a common boot camp, if you will, that you can identify with. Oh, I grew up saying the woodchuck song, and then you guys, you know, say it and you play around, but that that's you're in the same circle, right? Not only are have you, you know, gotten the interview because your articulation is above par because you've worked on it, but you've also gone through this common boot camp, and so you you can relate to the other person. You're now speaking the same language. Okay. And in that dialogue and speaking the same language, you can infer all sorts of other things, where they grew up, who they know, their their values and, and different things. And again, the system wants to perpetuate itself. So this is one of my people. And if you don't know that limerick, if you haven't worked on it, if you haven't gone through those same experiences, you actually aren't a part of the culture. So so like when you go to finance or an IT and you're like, man, all these people look the same and they all went to the same frat and they all go to the same school and they all do the things. This is just an ensconment of culture. And we call that white privilege because historically those were waspy white men. And then they, you know, um, you know, Jews got in there and Asians got in there and some black people. And even though the past was very centered on whiteness, now it's not really that anymore. There is sort of an aristocracy um, that has reestablished itself through college and advanced degrees, mm-hmm. through, you know, we're seeing it through marriage now, and, and, and just, you know, all of these things that really ensconce the, the, the power structure to be what it is. Like my daughter, go, her going to college was, it wasn't even a question, mm-hmm. you know, her being excellent. I mean, I'm very proud. She got a, a, a 14, 10 on her SAT. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm from Canada. Right. And I don't actually, I'm, I think that's high. Like, I don't, like, I don't know. Cause yeah, I never had so to take it's out of 1600. It's out of 1600. Okay. Um, she didn't study. She just woke up one day and like, all right, it's time to take the SAT. And that's okay. what she got. Okay. Right. Awesome. And it's, it, it is awesome. But then also I know the fact that, I put her in, I had the resources to put her in Montessori school. Mm-hmm. I was able to live in certain zip codes. I was able to introduce her to certain people. I have curated my daughter's life so that when the time comes, she can recite the woodchuck limerick, mm-hmm. signal the fact that she knows this and she does that and she knows how to mingle with certain people. And so people give her a pass. And if you don't know these things, Right. If you don't know these social cues, it feels like they are against you because you're not in on the joke. And now very you're bitter. Mm-hmm. Very subtle. It's I very heard subtle. It from school. Or no, not school. I heard it from like TV. 
Like, I, I never was officially taught that particular one. I think it was just, like, cartoons. Like, Bugs Things, Bunny. Yeah, different things like that. And that's how, that is how culture is passed on. And we don't have this massive one culture that everyone sort of signs signs up to. There are microcultures. Mm-hmm. There is the microculture mi- microculture of the extreme wealthy. There's the microculture of the poor. There's the culture of people who grew up in Montana in the upper Midwest versus the South. Mm-hmm. There are all different social cues. There are all these different things and all these different biases. And if you are aware of them, you can leverage any one of them. So that's why things like white privilege we can say objectively this is the thing, but it is one tool on a shelf of different privileges. And how you leverage these various facets of, of privilege or culture, social influence and everything like that, that is the highest determination of your success. But I do, okay, I, I do want to ask about systemic racism, even though we yes. talked about it in general the, and, and, yeah. and historically. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing that people are like, can, can name the law. Like, people do this. Like, and, and I'm not sure. I don't know American laws well enough. I've heard yes. a few examples. Um, I, from how, what, what you described, I'm wondering if it's like a vestigial, leftover, unintentional, the way certain laws end up. Yes. Yes. You know? But I'll give do you, you a, have specifics? I will give you a very specific. Okay. Education. Okay. And I'm big on education, right? Super big on education. Um, if you go back not too far, you know, even, I would think even up to the 80s, um, but I would even probably say to a certain extent now, there were areas that were redlined. Have you heard of redlining? Is, is it to do with the, the, like where you're allowed to live? where you're allowed to live. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to make that a law. It can just be practice. We're not going to sell homes to certain people because we want to keep this neighborhood as white as possible or as Jewish as possible or as Asian or black, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you had, say, black people. We'll just use black and white as the most extreme examples. Um, black people were redlined to be within certain areas, right? Um, and... Within that, they weren't allowed the best jobs or the best access to education before then, not allowed, you know, the best jobs. You couldn't be a doctor. You couldn't be a lawyer. You couldn't be all these different things. There were some, but it was extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And so the property values in those neighborhoods were low. Mm -hmm. But we tie education to property values and the property tax. And so this is the one I've heard. Yeah. And it's very prevalent, right? Yeah. And so you have education that... In, in, in these areas that are just underfunded, you know, and people say, oh, but they get the exact same amount of money. So it's, it's all equal. And it's like, yeah, but if this, if these people are historically operating from a deficit, just spending the same amount of money, doubling our income from one year to one year is like that, that that's not solving the problem. And so what happens is, is that you fast forward and maybe we aren't redlining anymore, but you still have whole districts with failing education systems, being underfunded, specifically because somewhere we decided to, you know, allocate money based on property taxes. Mm -hmm. And so that divide grows and grows and grows. And we say, well, 
them's the rules. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but what we've done is we've just, we've systemized the racism. Mm-hmm. You know, you, 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 you force black people or, you know, Hispanics or Asians or whomever into these ghettos. You, you know, you don't fix, you, you don't, you know, uh, the infrastructure is failing. Why? Because, well, they don't have enough tax money to pay for it. So we're not going to fund it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how, how, how are people ever to build themselves up if they lack the basic resources? How am I supposed to build a cake if you don't give me any flour mm-hmm. or if I don't have any eggs, mm-hmm. you know? So we aren't, we are not starting from the same place. Right. And this is not, and, 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 and even though, and one of the things that happens is when I say these things from my particular experience as a black man growing up in the black parts of, of society, I get everyone talking about what I had it hard, I had it this and everything like that. And I'm like, no, the same things have happened to white people as well. Mm-hmm. Exact same thing. They just call it a different name. There were different motivations. But again, it's the power structure keeping everyone out of the power structure out. Right. And so why then you poor white man, why are you chasing me down? I'm not the one doing it to you. You know, don't lament the fact that I'm asking the, you know, I'm asking the boss for an extra dollar an hour. I'm, it's not, I don't want it to come out of your pocket. I'm asking for you to get that same dollar, that same dollar. We're asking for the power structure, you yes. know? Yeah. Okay. So the, that's the thing actually, I'm, cause I did, this is the one last thing I, I wanted to speak with you. Yeah, about. So there's two there's reactions where people are like what you said, like people are like I was poor and you're, uh-huh. like, you're not asking it to come out of your pocket here. Like you should be asking for it. So there's those reactions. But then yes. there's like, I brought up white fragility right now, which is really hot. Yes. <laughs> like, like it's going mainstream now, man. Yes. My friend Liam called it, um, Liam Bright. So he, he called it like the idea that he's like white people take our stuff and they, puritanize it in a they piously puritanize it yes and that's kind of what i think is happening with white fragility so yes your thoughts sir yes so even though even though we can recognize um the sort of the zombie systems and everything that sort of uh create you know the white privilege if you will um and even if and bringing it up to, let's say, a general, you know, your average white person, there has to be some compassion for this person's individual situation because we don't know what hardships that they've gone through. It's not a competition. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I haven't read the book. I've, you know, I've heard different things about it. I've seen and excerpts. Yeah. And I think, I think for whatever point, that was being made, whatever good, solid point that was, that, you know, was intended, it's been lost in using inflammatory language. Mm. It's been lost in the delivery. Mm -hmm. And then because we have almost no time to, or even I would say impetus to slow down and actually parse out the, 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 the piece of value. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily helping. And I do think that there is a lot of performance uh, involved. And I think the book and all the hype around it allows, you know, good meaning white folk. And I say that 
in quotes mm-hmm. as a as a caricature um, good meaning white folk to offload guilt and offload all of these different things and it becomes very performative in the sense that okay you know what yeah last week I announced my white fragility and now I'm say you know I'm saved it's, it's, and it's the original sin like the whiteness is the original sin a well, bit. right right we automatically equate sin equals bad and I was, and so it translates in my mind. I was born bad, mm-hmm. therefore I'm always asking for forgiveness. I'm always working from a deficit. I'm always working. So when good things do happen, it's like, man, do I deserve this? Am I really worth this? Because I was born bad. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a very negative thing. And I don't mean to step on people's religion and their expression and how they feel about it, but this is how words have double meanings and mm-hmm. unintended meanings context becomes and i like words and i really like you know breaking down and then i'm i'm in it so data it's all the same to me um and so i think the book white fragility i think the title is wrong i think it's it's the wind trying to blow people's jackets off and it's not allowing it's not allowing white people if you will to join the conversation you know to be to be a, a, a member or, or a party to the solution, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's saying you have something to atone for. You have something that you need to be sorry about. And it's like... And focus on yourself. Yeah. Focus and on even, you and your yeah. whiteness again. And, <laughs> like... and, and, and Right. And even though there, that is part of it, we all need to reflect and, and, and do our part because there is, I mean, we can have a whole conversation on what black people need to reflect on and what we need to change, you know, individually, culturally, you know, um, within our black culture, but I'm like, I only have so much time. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're right. Yeah. We could, we could do it another time if yeah. you want, but, um, you know, while there is that you don't need to beat someone over the head to do that. All you have to do is show them a mirror, you know? You know, this is what you said, and this is what you did. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to let you sit with those two. So, so thank you so much for coming on my, my show here, Rock. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I, I Like I said, I really appreciate it. You, uh, you know, you thought of me. Yeah. yeah well, I've, <laughs> I've been paying attention. I'm like, I need to talk about this, and I'm going to be paying attention to what people are tweeting right now. And, and we miss so like much. It. Yeah. Like we were supposed to talk about the protests and the different no, things. No, it's fine. Yeah. But it, yeah, it, yeah. That's why it, it it took the course it needed to take. Yes, it did. So yes, it did. So thank you.